Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday. It's June 22nd. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, NBA draft night. Probably not a whole lot of intrigue for the number one overall pick, but the draft should get exciting after that. Uh, it also, by all accounts, seems like there might be more movement with draft picks, people not staying where they're where they're at, maybe more so than ever before. So we'll see how that all unfolds. It'll get underway tonight, 5 p.m. on ABC and ESPN. Uh, and we'll also go through uh, Sam Vicini of the Athletics mock draft a little bit later on in the program. But let's get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. And we'll start with, do you agree with the Suns' apparent complete neglect of adding any depth? And it remains in a 50-50 split here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Right now they have the 52nd pick, uh, even though there are you know, reports out there that that's part of the uh, the trade that brought Bradley Beal here, and they're going to trade that pick, and they'll have no picks tonight. So we'll see if that happens or not. On Twitter, at KDUSAM1060, who should Charlotte pick with the number two overall selection, Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson? And uh, Twitter is taking its sweet time to load. Brandon Miller out in front at 55.6% of the vote. Scoot at 44.4%. This is on Twitter at KDUSAM1060. Yeah, this, this is very interesting what has happened here in the last you know, few days. A week ago, less than a week ago, um, you know, it was basically a pick 'em, uh, minus 110 as to who was going to be the uh, you know, second pick. And then there were reports out there this week, uh, earlier in the week, but you know, I believe by Woj that uh, the, uh, the, the Miller had a, gr- a great workout in front of Michael Jordan, which, interesting me, is still part of the decision making process here, even though he's actually selling the team. And then also Mitch Kupchak, the general manager, who is Jordan's North Carolina guy, who is the GM. But he might be out of the organization, too, after new ownership. Uh, But those are the guys making the selections and doing the business for Charlotte. Uh, But uh, apparently they like Miller. However, I know there's been other reports today, uh, in the last 24 hours or so at least, that uh, it's going to be Scoop. So we'll see. But certainly the betting market... Went from minus 110 uh, to you know, basically you know, to minus 400 uh, on the uh, Miller side of things. The last I looked, but I haven't looked since uh, for a couple hours. But uh, you know, it was uh, you know, I guess the uh, the uh, the woes report uh, certainly changed the betting market. Let's put it that way. 
Yeah, isn't that wild that Michael Jordan, I mean, he still is a minority owner in the team, uh, but is still largely a part of the decision-making process for the NBA draft. Mitch Kupchak, the general manager, who knows if he'll be retained after the uh, ownership changeover. So you just have to wonder how much uh, input the new owners are going to have. But at the same time, it also makes sense that it's way too late in the process to kind of bring in your own people. So you're really just going to have to rely on uh, the process that they've been going through for the entire college basketball season and into the summer here uh, to, to make these drafts decisions but it obviously shapes everything moving forward with your new tenure so it's kind of just I guess an awkward time for this sale to have taken place absolutely awkward's excellent term uh, also it's not like Michael Jordan has been uh, adept at making good basketball decisions since he's taken over We'll answer this question in its entirety around 11.30 today, so still time for you to cast your vote. You can chime in today, 10.30 and 11.15. We'll take some calls. The number 602-260-1060. As I mentioned, the NBA draft day day is today at 5 p.m. on ABC and ESPN, but that hasn't stopped moves continuing to take place, and we're trying to catch up with everything that happened late last night in, in regards to trades. So We'll try to figure figure it all out for ourselves here last night involving the Celtics, the Wizards, and the Grizzlies. During Wednesday's show, the prevailing thought that there was going to be something on the horizon for the Celtics, Wizards, and Clippers, but that proposed trade ended up falling apart. Enter in the Grizzlies into the conversation. So here we go. Kristaps Porzingis to the Celtics, Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies, Tyus Jones to the Wizards, Danilo Gallinara and Mike Muscala to the Wizards from Boston. Other compensation includes Memphis sending Boston its first round pick in tonight's draft, which happens to be the 25th overall pick, as well as a top four protected first rounder in 2024. And the Celtics are sending the 35th pick in tonight's draft to Washington. Kristaps Porzingis had to opt into his $36 million player option in order for this deal to take place. Okay, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible, but it may not be. First up, uh, I think the Celtics, uh, whoever has Porzingis on their team, you can eliminate them from winning the championship. I just don't think he's a championship player. I wouldn't pay him anything, let alone $36 million. So good luck with that. Uh, the thing with the Clippers apparently fell apart because uh, they didn't like the medicals on Brogdon, uh, who would be a nice fit for the Clippers. I guess that back, you know, basically opens Chris Paul back up as a possibility of going to the Clippers because uh, he's apparently going to be bought out by the Wizards at some point here. The other thing is, as far as the Celtics are concerned, I would have much preferred if they could have just gotten Tyus Jones who's an excellent point guard, but you know, he's uh, kind of buried behind John Morant and doesn't get that much time in uh, in Memphis or has gotten that much time in Memphis. He has, I don't think he has a whole lot of use in, in the Wizards land because they're going to be maybe the worst team in the NBA uh, this upcoming season. Uh, so, you know, it's a uh, – Jones with with Boston, who I think desperately needs a point guard and somebody to run an offense. Um, I don't know if the head coach will allow anybody to run an offense. He certainly did last year. Uh, but you know, that would have been a much better fit for me. I would rather have – much rather any team have Tyus Jones, who is a winning player, 
as opposed to Przingis, who was all about him, and I don't, he doesn't seem to care about anything else. Just some numbers. Przingis did play 65 games with the Wizards last year. He averaged 23.2 points per game on 49.8% shooting from the floor, 38.5% from three. He averaged 8.4 rebounds per game and 1.5 blocks per game. Um, I, I hear what you're saying about Przingis. I'm certainly surprised that the Celtics had made this decision here. So I guess does it suggest that they're going to play a bit differently offensively adding in uh, an offensive player like Porzingis at his position. Uh, whether they want to or not, they're going to play differently because he's going to take bad shot after bad shot after bad shot. And he was perfect in Washington because they sucked and he could get as many good numbers as he personally wanted to do because he's a selfish player. As for Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies, he played 61 games last year for the Celtics, averaging 11.5 points per game, 41.5% from the floor, and 6.3 assists per game. He also is a former Defensive Player of the Year, and he'll likely now have a pretty large role because John Morant will be serving his 25-game suspension, at least 25 games, to start the season. I actually like Smart and Tyus Jones, uh, so you know they had to make a choice, I guess, there between their, you know, which point guard they wanted. Uh, so you know, you know, they're different players. You know, Jones is more of a distributor, and he does play some defense, but he's more of an offensive-oriented guy. Marcus Smart, a really good defender, no doubt about that. Uh, made some threes, as is everybody in Boston. They take too many threes. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of a, you know, I thought I, when he, when he, if I were playing Boston and he was jacking up threes, I would say, you know, go ahead. You know, we'll take my, I'll take my chances that you're not going to make enough of those to beat me. And uh, certainly that was one of the reasons they lost to Miami. Other things that had to take place yesterday from a procedural standpoint included players opting in or opting out of their contracts at the deadline last night. You had Chris Middleton declining his 50, or his $40 million player option with the Bucks to become a free agent. Uh, there is still the option for Middleton to return to the Bucks, but he can certainly now explore his options. He did only play 33 games last season, coming off another offseason knee procedure. 15.1 points per game, 43.6% from the floor, 31.5% from three. All of that across the board is down a bit from the prior year. Obviously, games played contributes to that as well. I do find it interesting that the Bucks are in um, – they have some questions this offseason if some players want out because you have Middleton now as a free agent. He's going to be 32 in August. You have Brooke Lopez as a free agent. He's 35 years old. You also have Drew Holiday. He's under contract this year with a player option next year. He's 33. You also then add in having a new head coach, Adrian Griffin. Uh, it's an interesting offseason for the Bucks here ahead. Absolutely. The Middleton thing, I think the most important thing about him last year is he was a load management king. Um, I don't know if they ever played him in back-to-back -back regular season games. If they didn't, it wasn't very often if they did. Uh, and then by the time the playoffs started, though, remember, you know, they were only in for one round and they got knocked out by Miami. But he had no minutes restrictions once the actual playoffs started. So, you know, their load management approach with him in the regular season seemed to work because he was full go 
to play any any amount of minutes they wanted to play him in the postseason, but then their postseason lasted one round. I also had thought I had seen this maybe a month or so ago that uh, in order to bring back Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton had to opt out of his contract to make the financials work if you weren't going to go crazy into the the luxury tax scenario here for the Bucks. But, you know, obviously as a free agent, both of those players have the option to explore elsewhere here. Let's just say uh, both of them don't come back. One or the other comes back. You know, I guess what would the... What do you think the market would be for a player like Chris Middleton, and what would the market be for a player like Brooke Lopez? I'll just go personally speaking. Yeah, I would much rather have Middleton. Uh, I just think that he – and Lopez is you know, really uh, – for a guy that came into the NBA as strictly a low-post player, the maturation of his offensive game, he's always been a good defender and block shots. But uh, the fact that he's become a three-point threat also – I mean, he's a good player. But there's also, you know, what, a four- or five-year age difference here. And Middleton, I just think, is more suited to the so-called modern NBA game because he's got perimeter skills and, you know, he does a lot of stuff. So I, I would rather have him. I'm not I'm not necessarily anti-Lopez, but if it came down to one of those two guys, I mean, Middleton, I think, is, in my opinion, uh, bar, I wouldn't say by far, but he is clearly, to me, the better player. A couple of things taking place with the Denver Nuggets. You had Bruce Brown opting out of his uh, $6.8 million player option. Bruce Brown, 11.5 points per game, 48.3% from the floor, 35.8% from three. And in the playoffs, 12 points per game, 51.1% from the floor, 31.6% from three. So Bruce Brown declining his $6.8 million option. Then the Nuggets finding themselves with a couple of more first-round picks as they uh, now have picks 29 and 32 in today's draft and send a 2024 first-rounder and the 40th pick tonight to the Pacers. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, uh, they're starting to remind me of the uh, the old-time Spurs when you know they did some maneuvering towards the bottom of the first round when they were always drafting late when we were you know, winning championships or in contention to win a championship. Uh, and they always managed to, you know, if the Spurs drafted you, whether it be late in the first round or in the second round, those guys always seem to make perfect sense. Uh, Ginobili obviously is the most uh, you know, glaring example uh, of all this. You know, they believe he was like the 58th or 59th pick. There's only like 60 picks. And uh, that turned out to have you know, worked out okay for them, needless to say. Uh, but the, the Nuggets are starting to remind me of this. You know, even you know they had they've got role players last year that contributed to them winning a championship. Whether it be Brown out of Kansas in the draft, they're obviously you know Brown from the from the Nets and they're you know via free agency. Uh, you know, you know Green really helped them out a lot in the uh, in the regular season and the postseason. Uh, so yeah, I think the Nets are. Excuse me, the uh, you know, the uh, the Nuggets are gonna. Uh, I think they're. I don't. It, we don't have enough a track of a track record yet to say that they've kind of replaced the Spurs as uh, you know player personnel and you know you know, maneuvering draft wise and with picks to get the right spots and to get the right guys. But I'm starting to think that they might have something going very similar to what the Spurs did, and I thought that that was kind of a lost in all the shuffle of the Spurs' success 
you know, they had certainly some lottery luck, and they just had lottery luck again last month, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, heading they into did. the night. But, uh, you know, they also have made shrewd decisions to fill out their entire roster. And, uh, you know, th- they won championships in large part because they had more than a couple of stud players that they were you know, fortunate enough to be able to select in the draft. Uh, it doesn't look like that that uh, 40th pick stayed long with the Pacers as they have now uh, flipped that and sent it off to the Los Angeles Lakers. And in return, the Pacers are going to get pick number 47 and some cash. So uh, the Pacers are moving around their picks. I think they originally had five picks. Now they're down to four picks in uh, this year's uh, draft. So we'll see how things unfold for the Pacers. The other player that declined his option, no surprise here, Kyle Kuz declining his $13 million player option with the Washington Wizards. I'll be curious to see. Maybe we can get into it here on the other side of the break. Just kind of the market that you see for a Kyle Kuzma, if there's some value for him uh, on a different team, not a a rebuilding team, maybe with a a more solidified team just kind of needing a role piece. We'll get into that. Plus Sam Vecini of the Athletics' latest mock draft. We'll dive into all of that here on The Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060 online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports check out the doug gottlieb show monday through friday 1 to 3 p.m right here on kdus am 1060 1024 here on KDOS AM 1060 as always online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Diamondbacks are underway in the nation's capital leading 1-0. Uh, Corbin Carroll, he I saw him flying around the bases already so far to bring home the run for the Diamondbacks as this is a makeup Chris, game. Christian Walker got the hit. He seems like he gets like two hits every game. So he's had a cr- incredible June so far this year uh, Christian Walker has uh, this is the makeup game due to the uh, Canadian fires a couple of weeks ago and then the Diamondbacks will be off for a three game set in San Francisco against the Giants starting tomorrow we'll continue to update this and talk a little bit and, about it and, wa- and, and Washington goes to San Diego so they want to make sure they get this game in and get this over as fast as possible and get out of town <laughs> Absolutely. We'll dive into more around Major League Baseball and the Diamondbacks in the second hour. Uh, Sam Vecini of The Athletic put together his latest mock draft Thought we could go through some of these and just a, a bit of his thought process here. Uh, pick number, I, I should note here that uh, he says that there are always smoke screens, but according to him and just kind of his, his amount of time that he's spent doing and putting together these mock drafts and speaking with various different people across the league. Uh, he's never experienced anything quite like this leading up to an NBA draft. And he also notes that it seems very re- real that picks could be up for acquisition in bunches this year. So we'll see how the NBA draft all unfolds. Pick number one should be really no drama here with Victor Wembenyama uh, going to the Spurs. Yeah, this is a done deal, even though it's not officially a done deal. Uh, I think that uh, the reason Sam is also anticipating a 
the lots of moves and so forth is I don't think you're probably going to hear this tonight on ESPN or NBA TV, whichever, you know, telecast or ABC, is ABC doing this too, whoever's doing this uh, tonight, whichever broadcast, but this draft sucks. Um, you know, there, you know, there were very few times I watched a billion college basketball games more than even usual because uh, of my, you know, health situation. I'm just kind of at home most of the time. Uh, so I, there were very few players in college basketball last year that I said, man, there's an NBA star of the future, or even in uh, not many cases, a contributing player of the future. Uh, just look at the Pac-12 guys. I mean, you know, other than, you know, you know, you know Tubelis isn't even going to get drafted. It, it, almost for sure not going to get drafted. And he was like almost the Pac-12 player of the year and like a second-team All-American for some people. Uh, but he can't guard anybody. Uh, he wasn't even on the court at some of the end of the games for the U of A defensively. This is not a good draft. Don't let anybody tell you differently tonight. There might be some stars. There's going to be stars in every draft. But the fact that, you know, there's just a, a, the talent pool, I've never seen it. And I'm not exaggerating here and not just being a prisoner of the moment. I've never seen a draft with this less, I think, difference-making talent for the NBA, at least immediately for next year. I mean, I, how many of these guys are actually going to be contributing players on good teams next year or even bad teams for that matter? Not very many. Number two, according to Sam Vicini of the Athletics Mock Draft here, uh, he is back and forth for the Hornets. Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. Uh, he does have Brandon Miller slotted in here. Six foot eight wing, 20 years old. He averaged 19 points per game and nine rebounds for Alabama. A terrific volume shooter and fills it up from three. Has potential to be a top two scoring option on a good NBA team. However, you know, Vicini notes that he really thinks like the Hornets don't know what they're going to do. They they brought both Miller and Henderson back last week or early this week, one of the two, for a second workout. Uh, so certainly he, he wouldn't be surprised if it is Scoot Henderson at this pick. He also uh, thinks that there could be a trade here up to number two or number three, and that would obviously change things up here if that were to take place. Seems like there could be a trade anywhere after the first pick. Quite frankly, um, you know, as I mentioned during the sports zone, you know, less than a week ago, this was basically a pick 'em as far as the betting market goes. Now it just depends on which NBA insider you believe the most in. Uh, earlier this week, I want to say like Tuesday, uh, it was uh, you know, Woj reporting that you know, Miller, and when they brought those two guys in for their second workouts, Miller was tremendous and Scoot was not. Uh, but then I guess it's to last a few hours here. Shams is reporting the complete opposite. So whoever you believe in, I guess, is what's going to happen tonight. How much do you think there's value and that you can get out of these one-on-zero workouts versus what you see if you go and scout these players in person or what you watch on tape? Uh, you know, Can that really change your mind about what a particular player can do other than maybe uh, 
I, I guess, seeing how coachable they are uh, about certain things that you'd like to see them uh, show off or uh, what, where they need to work on something with footwork or, or other mechanics? I'm not sure how to answer that. I think it's a really good question, but I just have no idea how to approach an answer because I've never been privy to any of these workouts ever. Uh, I've watched, you know, tons of games and, you know, I've watched uh, some combine stuff and whatever, but the guys that are at the high, the top of this draft weren't even, they didn't even bother to attend the cut. Well, they might've been there cause they had to get measured and all that, but they didn't play during the draft combine workouts cause they didn't have to. Uh, also, I think in this case, it's a little more tricky uh, because, you know, Henderson was, he hasn't, you know, didn't play in college and he did the G League thing or whatever they call that league these days. Uh, and he did that. And then you've got Brandon Miller, who is a you know, fantastic talent at, uh, at Alabama, has the off the field or off the court stuff, which if you don't know about that, I'll just leave that tonight for the uh, broadcast because I'm sure they'll spend plenty of time on that, which they should uh, because I think they have to go on the assumption that a lot of people watching the NBA draft don't watch college basketball. But I'm guessing that everybody would seem to know something about uh, the murder that occurred when, uh, when Miller was at Alabama and his involvement. Number three, the Trailblazers. Uh, Vicini here has Scoot Henderson, 6'2 guard, 19 years old. He can pull up and hit floaters, finish at the rim, can play fast or slow, and has good vision as a passer. Uh, another question he has here, though, is what direction is Portland going to go here? Are they going to try to get out of the pick? Are they going to try to pick someone that can play complementary to Damian Lillard and then eventually take over for Damian Lillard as you know the Damian Lillard saga continues with the, with the Trailblazers? That's all fair, and yeah, but the Blazers yesterday or in the last 24 hours have said there's no way they're trading this pick, and they're uh, moving forward with Lillard, and he says he wants to stay. I didn't quite realize until a couple of within the last couple of days that you know not only is Lillard's base, you know, he's a Bay Area guy, uh, mostly you know, his family is all, like, all moved to Portland. A lot of his friends have moved to be with him in Portland. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sure it's like a, you know, some kind of, a, you know, you know, community project or whatever. It's like he has a house, you know, home development of all his friends and family members all in Portland. So to trade him after all that, he's now kind of said, depending on which day you read Twitter, apparently, whether he wants to stay or wants he wants to go. This has been like a semi-annual event. And that's exactly what I meant. It's more than just an annual event. It seems to happen multiple times, at least multiple times per year. If what, or what, what is Portland going to do? Does he want to stay? Does he want to go? Um, so good luck. Number four, the Rockets. Amen Thompson, 6'6", guard, 20 years old, attacks the basket aggressively, is a high-level passer, but needs to clean up his mechanics on defense, but has the athleticism to do it. Vassini says maybe it's actually Cam Whitmore here. The potential of Harden joining the Rockets potentially changes the pick in the direction. Yeah, it looks like there's – I don't know when Sam wrote this because it seems like there's no chance – I shouldn't say no chance. There's a very little chance that Harden's going to join the Rockets after there was speculation for literally months. I'm not joking about that. Literally months that he was going to opt out and go back to Houston. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen anymore. As far as you know, the 
Yeah, Henderson and the Thompson twins. I sure assume another one of the other guys coming up here soon. Uh, I've seen plenty. I've never seen either any of those three guys, quite frankly, the twins and, and also Henderson play. Uh, but I've seen all these highlights, and I don't know if I've seen any of the three to make a make a jump shot. None of them. So, you know, I don't know if that flies in the NBA. Um, you know, they have other skills and all that, but it'd be nice if you could make a shot occasionally that wasn't a dunk or a layup. Number five here, the Pistons. He has Osser Thompson, 6'6", wing, 20 years old. Obviously the twin there of Amen. Strong defender who is a good rim protector, sharp cutter and mover without the ball. Uh, but he says that the Pistons have been a really hard team to read, potentially trade down here, maybe Cam Whitwar or even Jarris Walker. I've heard a lot about Walker, and I loved him in college. Uh, his one year at Houston – was really impressive. I said during the college basketball season, I wasn't exactly the biggest University of Houston fan because of the fact that they played in the garbage conference and they had to win games because who else was going to win them? Uh, but you know, Walker, to me, last year, no player in college basketball, at least at a high-level, you know, high-profile school, school, improved from the start of the season to the end of the season that he did. And uh, the fact that he got that much better. Now, the other side of that is I think there's maybe some questions of how much better can he be. But I've heard Walker's uh, you know, name mentioned at number five with uh, the Pistons quite a few times here in the last couple of days. We'll get through number six through ten on the other side of the break. Uh, the Suns, they don't have a pick until number 52. We'll see if that stays as their pick or if it's going to be included in uh, the Washington's Wizards deal for Bradley Beal. So still kind of to be determined on what the Suns are up to with their selection. You can also join the conversation. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll get to you now and talk to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. As we can continue, Sam Vecini of the Athletics' latest mock draft as the NBA draft is finally here tonight, 5 p.m on ESPN and ABC. It is the extra point, though, right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Your morning drive just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDOS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Trying to get ourselves prepped for the NBA draft, which is tonight. There's always all sorts of different mock drafts out there, but we're going through Sam Vecini of the Athletics' latest mock draft. We went one through five in the previous segment. Uh, no surprise, number one, Victor Wembenyana. Uh, two, Hornets, Brandon Miller. Three, Trailblazers, Scoot Henderson. Four, Rockets, Amen Thompson. Five, Pistons, Osser Thompson, his twin brother. Now moving in, things over to number six uh, with the Orlando Magic. He has Cam Whitmore, 6'6", uh, 
wing, 18 years old, has a ton of upside because he's explosive and strong, can hit pull-up jumpers from three, good on-ball defender, and can switch. Vicini says that his range seems to be number four to number nine, and teams seem to also have mixed feelings about him. Uh, they, I, I guess it's because he hasn't really like overwhelmed in these one-on-one uh, process and just his personality of being laid back is, I, I guess, a knock at this point. He's one of these guys I mentioned earlier, you know, I watched last year and uh, they said during, you know, he didn't play that. He was injured at the start of the season for Villanova. They weren't very good. They also had other injuries to key players. They were actually healthy. He was and others pretty healthy by the end of the season. And at uh, one time, we kind of thought maybe they'd make a. They needed to win the Big D's tournament to actually get in the NCAA tournament. And at one point, I and others thought that that might happen, and then they lost. But uh, I watched Whitmore play, and they talked about, hey, this guy's going to be a lottery pick or top five pick or whatever. And I just remember thinking all the time, what, why? I don't understand it. So um, I understand uh, the indecision and the fact that he didn't play more in college, certainly I'm guessing is kind of added to the cloud of uncertainty here. Um. When it comes to pick number seven with the Pacers, he does have Jarris Walker, 6'7", forward, 19 years old. Great passer and playmaker. He's improved as a shooter. He's a great defender and very instinctual, can play man-to-man. Vicini says that the Pacers need defensive help, though, as they ranked 26th in defensive rating last season. They need everything. Um, I just think that they're – I don't care. You, you mentioned earlier that, well, they're going to have like five picks maybe. They could have 100 picks. I don't care. Uh, between uh, the lack of talent, in my opinion, in this draft and the fact that they just suck to start with, I don't care. what. I, I can't imagine a scenario where they're going to be any good next season. Number eight, the Wizards here. He has Anthony Black, 6'6 guard, 19 years old, very smart player, can attack on offense, can play defense and switch in his, with his size and his strength. Vicini, though, says the Wizards are seen as wild cards because of their new front office here. Also potentially lists Kaysan Wallace as another name that comes up. Also, the Jazz could try to move up in front of the Wizards to uh, get a pick that they like here. Black is a player I'm very intrigued about. Um, very versatile, runs the point some. Uh, he was, a, I thought, a very impressive college player uh, on a team where I don't know if he was always used properly. But uh, that he's a guy that uh, does intrigue me. And quite frankly, I'm sure people are getting the idea here. There's not that many people in this draft that do, but I like him. Number nine is the Utah Jazz. He has listed Taylor Hendricks, 6'8", forward, 19 years old, elite defender, moves his feet well as an all-on-ball defender and can switch, also can help weak side as a rim protector, needs to improve as an offensive playmaker and ball handler. Uh, Maybe right away he's a great 3 and D option. The Jazz, according to Vicini here, can be one of the more active teams in the draft with all sorts of trade possibilities for themselves because they have so many different picks and options and Danny Ainge loves to wheel and deal so yeah all those uh, ingredients are there to do so um, 
I don't think there's too many see too many years where this dude would have actually been uh, considered to be a lottery pick. But uh, to me, once again, uh, and I'm sure, you know, maybe I shouldn't say I'm sure. I always say I'm sure. I would assume that nobody's going to actually come out and tell you that this draft is not great. But uh, the fact that he's even being mentioned here, I think that just kind of uh, you know, solidifies my opinion that this draft is at least heading in not very good. One of the themes that I've been seeing throughout this mock draft, though, is um, a lot of really good defenders and I'm just kind of curious about that because it does seem like we've overall in general shifted to a more offensive minded um, basketball game that we play at both both levels the the professional game as well as the collegiate level but then I'm also wondering how much of these great defensive skills translate to the NBA just because of sheer size uh, that some players still have to develop into into their size they're, they're still very young players coming into the draft yeah, I agree that uh, you know transferring defensive skills to the NBA is I think probably, the most uh, you know, difficult thing to judge and the most difficult thing for players to actually, you know, uh, you know that rarely do you see a, a player come out of college and is immediately a stud defender. Uh, also, I'll say that I think one of the reasons that you're seeing, and I am too, and I've heard a lot about it the last few days because I didn't really pay, quite frankly, a whole lot of attention to this draft until like Saturday, uh, but uh, certainly have since then. But I'm hearing a lot of this defensive thing first. And I think, once again, that's in large part because there's the skill level on offense uh, in this draft seems to be lacking. And number 10 here, the Mavericks. He is listed by Lil Coolaby, 6'6 wing, 18 years old. He says that, uh, that he's one of the most interesting mixes of immense upside and raw, unrefined skills entering this NBA draft. Plays hard, unselfish, all the physical tools here. His handle needs to greatly improve. He needs to improve the jumper. Vecini, though, doesn't think that the pick stays here with Dallas. So I guess that's kind of why he just threw in a wild card there at number 10. Yeah, I don't even know who this guy is. So, uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, the Suns, as I previously mentioned, don't have a pick in the first round. They are slated to pick at number 52. He has Jordan Miller, 6'5 wing. We'll see if the Suns end up keeping that pick, though, or if it's tossed into the Wizards trade with Bradley Beal. Who's been Miller play for? You have to refresh my memory on this. Isn't he the uh, Jordan Miller? Isn't he the Florida player? The the my I'm sorry, the Miami player. Okay, uh, yeah. Okay, so, uh, thank you for refreshing my memory. Um, good all around all around player, but if, you know he's number fifty two in a mock draft. Um, I don't know how much of a uh, quote difference maker he might be. A complimentary best player, but I, he was. Certainly a, a player at college where he played both ends of the floor. I'm just checking my Miami notes here really quickly. And uh, I did like him in college. I didn't really make a note that I thought, you know, NBA difference maker. I don't, didn't put anything like that down here. But, uh, yeah, I actually liked Miami's team and uh, in college the last couple of years, and he was a big part of that. But, you know, yeah, I, he's – with the Suns bench right now, uh, he would probably be like their second or third best player off the bench. 
We talk a lot about this in the NFL, that it matters where you're drafted. Like, not not what number you're drafted, but, like, what team you end up going to. And especially that at the quarterback position. Is there that same level of importance with the NBA or because – some some somewhat of the development of NBA players can be achieved through individual workouts, through individual coaches uh, that maybe it, it's not the same importance as to what team you you get drafted to. I think it, it's not I wouldn't say it's not important, but I, I think it's wildly different, though, from the NFL, uh, because you only have you know, five guys in a court at the same time. Um, so. Yeah, so I just it, it, just the, the, just the sheer numbers of it all, I think, make it drastically different than the NFL. We'll get into the Travelers Championship on the PGA Tour on the other side of the break. See how some of our guys are doing. Some are already done for the day. Some have teed off uh, just a little bit ago, as it's yet another elevated event. Uh, which which is interesting on the schedule. I'll be curious to see how all of this kind of unfolds moving forward uh, in terms of elevated events coming directly off of a major championship. This happened after Augusta and the Masters with the RBC Heritage, but it was just about 90 miles up the road. Uh, this was completely across country, and it's nothing that necessarily the PGA Tour can do because the U.S. Open changes venues uh, every single year. So I'm just kind of curious to see what the sentiment is about another elevated event, star-studded field, and how that is going to unfold this week at the Travelers. But we'll get into all of that next. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Suggest you download that KDOS app as right now there's a $100 gift certificate uh, potentially available to you. Just download the app, register, and follow along with the instructions to see how you are eligible to be entered to win that $100 gift certificate. As we look at what's going on at the Travelers Championship from uh, Connecticut, uh, you have Keegan Bradley off to a fantastic sh- start. He shot eight under par 62. That's good for us as well. We had Ke- Keegan Bradley this week for a top 30, so that's great news for how he started. When we were talking about and trying to figure out where to go for this week in terms of um, players to select, I, I was having kind of a hard time figuring out, you know, how motivated some players are going to be, how much some of the travel was going to impact some of the players, and then just the players that were in the thick of things uh, at the U.S. Open and how much mental fatigue there would be heading into another elevated event. Sometimes that shows up right away on a Thursday. Sometimes it shows up later in the week on a Saturday and a Sunday if you find yourself back in the thick of things, being able to get to that next level gear. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor how some of that is going. Uh, so your your U.S. Open champion, he got off to a two-under start. That's good right now for a tie for 26. The other thing that we were discussing about with this with this event is that when you look at the metrics, it doesn't necessarily favor 
a, a particular player with a certain strong skill set versus another player. And, and what I mean by that is it's not a, a bomber's golf course. It's not necessarily somebody who's as accurate as possible golf course because bombers have won. Players who play uh, you know, more accurate have won. So it really just kind of encompasses everybody's style of game. And I think that that's showing up so far here in the leaderboard uh, through halfway through the first round. You have Keegan Bradley out in front at eight under par. Then you have in a tie for second, Shane Lowry and Ches Reavy. You have in a tie for fourth, uh, th- those two players shot six under par. They're done. In a tie for fourth, Kevin Streelman, uh, Kelly Kraft, Patrick Cantlay, Brendan Todd, and Cam Davis all at five under par. So just there alone, you have completely different styles of golfers. So it's very interesting to see who's kind of rising to the top here uh, through Thursday's round. When you look at world number one, Scotty Scheffler, he's one under par through five. That's good for a tie for 48th. Then you also have uh, Rory McIlroy. He is even through four. That's in a tie for 73rd right now. John Rahm, he is one under par through five tie for 48th. Some of the other golfers that we have going, Tom Kim, he's two under par through four, tie for 26th. Harris English, he's done for the day. He's at one under par in a tie for 48th. So we'll see how this all unfolds and keep you updated in hour number two. Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060, as always online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, Bob Kim Kayla Mortolaro with you. Hour number two is next.